Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning, Vox. How are you? Merry Christmas. We were backstage having a prayer time and just talking about things, and somebody said, well, you know, next week is Christmas. I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. I said, Tim, it is. I said, I'm pretty sure it's not. And she said, we, we can actually prove this to you. So I'm living in a state of denial that Christmas is actually three weeks from now, which gives me a ton of time to buy gifts and do stuff. And See, well, I'm from the Midwest, so this is hard. It's hard to be outside in your T-shirt with Christmas a week away. That just never feels like Christmas. And I'm a big humbug because I don't want to put up Christmas lights sweating. But my wife's like, we got to do it. It's Christmas. I said, well... Let's just focus on the love of Jesus and not lights. <laughs> that does not go well. Um, hey, we're so glad you're here. Uh, there's really just one announcement. Um, we are going to have a Christmas Eve service. That is three weeks from now. Um, no, it's not. It's this Sunday at 10 a.m. Uh, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service and just kind of prepare for uh, the next day. Hey, what I love about Vox the most is it's an interactive time. I preached on the problem of evil. Uh, I thought an appropriate <laughs> seasonal talk and got some great questions. But before I address that, let me address uh, a talk that I gave two weeks ago. You know, sometimes as speakers, you just have an internal clock that something you're saying just isn't right. And so I actually went back and listened to the sermon I gave a couple weeks ago, which was on self-image, if you remember. And I just simply said that I don't look like up-and-coming pastors uh, that are kind of hip, cool, funky, and that's just not my what I look like, which would have been totally fine to say. But then I alluded to the fact that when E.B. Free was looking for their new uh, pastor, that they were also looking for hip young, cool people, and I just simply didn't, didn't fit that bill, which really was unfair to the search process at EB Free. I have friends who were on the committee. I have friends who were part of the elder board, and it just wasn't fair to them. They prayed about that decision for a year and a half. Age was not a consideration. They had one candidate who was in his 60s that they loved, and he took his name out of the mix. So I, I, I think I gave the impression that EB Free's process was kind of shallow. Let's find the hippest, coolest person, and that just simply is not the case. So I kind of misspoke and spoken generalities. Uh, I so appreciate EV Free, uh, my friendships with them, and just want to be gracious towards them. And they did a bang-up job, and Darren is phenomenal uh, as a leader of that church. So I just kind of want to address that. It's good that we show uh, goodwill to each other, and I, I didn't feel good about what I said during that sermon. Okay, now let's take easy topic, problem of evil. Here are the questions. Uh, by the way, I love these questions. We got a ton of them. We just simply can't do all of them. It's just impossible. But here are some ones that struck me. So if God didn't want pre-programmed humans, i.e. would be boring to be married to Mr. Wonderful. I had a Mr. Wonderful doll pre-programmed to say everything you want Mr. Wonderful to say. So if God didn't want that, are we just designed for cosmic entertainment? Right? Was God bored one day and decided, I'm going to create human beings because I, I want some kind of entertainment to watch them do life? And I think that's not the case. God wanted a personal relationship with you. That's why he created human beings. And if you look at the New Testament, uh, Paul says that all of the fullness of God resides in Jesus. So if we look at Jesus, we see amazing reactions to human beings. We can bring God great sorrow, and we can bring him great pleasure, and it's authentic. Uh, two interesting instances of that. 
One is when Jesus is in Bethany and he's teaching and a woman walks in and breaks a vial of perfume, very expensive perfume, and puts it on and anoints him. Uh, the disciples are really bugged by that. They think well, that money could have been used for the poor. Jesus says, I got to tell you, every time the gospel is going to be preached, I assure you the story of this woman is also going to be remembered. He was so taken back by her faith that it really deeply moved him. And then the most famous story Jesus gives that has been analyzed by everybody, Christians and non-Christians alike, is the story of the prodigal father and the prodigal son. So the son leaves, right? And when he comes back, the father, and if you know Near Eastern culture, hikes up his robe and runs towards the son. Even though the son deserved death, Many people say that's why the father ran to protect his son from being literally stoned to death by the community for the disrespect that the child has shown towards the father. But no, 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 God runs towards you. So we actually cause God great sorrow and cause him great happiness. This is an authentic give-and-take relationship. So, um, yeah, God didn't create us to be like the newest plaything. He created us to have this deep, passionate, intimate give-and-take relationship. Next, Hello, Box. Hello, Tim. Does Jesus truly know what it means to be human? Yes, God sent him to earth. He took on all the sin of the world and his life wasn't easy, but he knew the end game. He knew what it was like in heaven. He knew what it was like to be sitting with God. He knew God's plan for his life and even some of the timing God had laid out for Jesus. Sometimes it feels like God, Jesus, is sympathy is really just empathy. Well, let me make this interesting comment. God doesn't empathize with us. Uh, psychologists tell us that empathy is me imagining your situation, right? So let's say you come from a broken home. I don't, but I, I empathize what it must be like to come from a broken home. That's how we define empathy. Well, if that's the case, Jesus doesn't empathize. I don't empathize what it's like to be a Biola professor. I am a Biola professor. So Jesus doesn't empathize what it means to be human. He was human. Now, he has a ton of sympathy for us, but he knows exactly what it's like to face disappointment, pain, uh, betrayal, even being abandoned by God. So Jesus doesn't empathize with us. He knows fully what it's like to be a human being and to experience all the pain and sorrow. And then I don't think it matters that he knew the end game. For example, if we, you have a friend who's suffering from cancer and knows what the end game's going to be, it's going to be chemotherapy, it's going to be uh, maybe succumbing to it, but all the courage that that individual shows during the process is authentic. So the fact that Jesus knew how it was going to end doesn't mitigate that he went through the middle, and that middle involved a lot of pain and suffering. So I wouldn't take away from that. Uh, all right, here's uh, the last one. It's really a statement more than a question. Tim, I have texted in before about God not showing up at the green generators during an abusive childhood. I gave a sermon a long time ago here at Vox. Uh, the green generators is just a metaphor of times when you wanted God to show up and he didn't in your estimation. and You actually got hurt in the process. I call that the green generators metaphor. My whole life, I've been stuck on that, wondering why God allowed the suffering and ask, but how could you? And then in your most recent sermon, you talked about God coming to us individually in heaven, recognizing our suffering. I referenced Revelation 21, where God will wipe away your tears individually. To imagine being heard and 100% understood by someone, and that someone being the ultimate counselor, is such a powerful image. The deepest hurts long to be heard and to not be alone. Uh, 
I, would hold on, I will hold on to that for maybe the first time, start to realize God really mourns and is with us in our pain and suffering. For whatever reason, the picture you drew of God in heaven offering what looks like therapy sessions, I hope there were no low or no deductibles in heaven, love that, resonated in a way that it never has before. Hearing it brought me to tears as if God was giving me a comforting hug through your words. Just wanted to say thank you. Let me say this. Uh, here's what I love. The Holy Spirit is at work. So Carrie's about to come up and, and preach, and you're going to hear worship, and you're going to take communion. Listen to the prompting of the Spirit. Mm. So when Carrie says something and you go, wow, I, I feel like she's talking to me, that's the Holy Spirit saying, oh, she is talking exactly to you. When something stirs during music, that is the Holy Spirit. So it's great to come to a Sunday and to say, I'm coming expectant that who's ever teaching, that I'm going to really come with ears to hear what God specifically wants to say to me in this moment. So let's, as we listen to these worship songs, prepare our hearts for what Carrie has to say and the experience that we're going to have at the Lord's table. So let's bring out Carrie. Yeah. I love you, Tim. Um, hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. I'm with Tim. I don't even know what's happening with Christmas. I, I have not started shopping yet at all. Oh, okay. Thank you for the support. So, oh, I need to be centered. This is, it's like too, I'm too ADD. I mean, OCD. I don't know. One of the Ds. Um, <laughs> You know when you're a kid and you can't wait for Christmas to be, like, you can't wait for Christmas to come and you're so excited? Something happens when you have kids and you can't wait for Christmas to be over. <laughs> Is that sad? That's where I'm at. It's not even happened yet, and I'm like, I just want it to be over, um, which th is really, really awesome, and I'm so glad you came this morning, because I just want Christmas to be over. Tim doesn't think it's happening. What's happening with your leadership? We're like not, we're not really, I don't know, Christmassy. Is that a word? No. Um, hi, I am so glad to be back and be here, um, and I missed you guys for the weeks that I was gone. I always love to get to come and be with my church and my people and talk about things. I broke a nail. I feel like we should point it out. It's, I know the guys don't care, but the whole time you're going to be looking at my Band-Aid wondering, is she going to talk about it? So I'm just going to let you know we're going to get it out there. I broke my nail, and it's happening, and I didn't have time to fix it. So that's that. Who else has gone Christmas shopping? Oh, some of you. Online. I know. We have a millennial that lives with us, and she just gets stacks of boxes every day. I'm like, she's such a better person than I am. Okay. Well, here we go. I prayed, and I was like, what do you want to talk about, Jesus? And I had this whole message that I thought I was going to give. And I even talked with Mike about it, and I talked with Andy about it, and I talked with Izzy about it, I talked with our team about it, and I was excited about it. I was like, all right, we're going to do this, we're going to talk about it. And that was on Tuesday, and I left Tuesday, and I go to pray about what I, you know, how he wants to put the message together, and the, I'm going to tell you straight up, Jesus was like, that's not the message you're giving. Like, oh, what? It's like, you're going to give a different message today. You're going to give the message on the Magi. And I was like, what? That's so cliche. We're talking about the Christmas story at Christmas time. Come on. And he was like, no, I want you to do a story. I want you to research the Magi. And I was like, all right, I'm going to research it. I never told Mike and I never told Andy until this morning. I said, I'm giving a different message, which they don't really care. I said, I promise it's not heretical. I don't think. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I never even called Mike, so Mike has no idea. So Mike, hey, we switched it up. Um, and uh, they give me such leeway. But honestly, like, the more I dove into this message, 
the more I get why he wanted to share it with you and honestly with me. I was sitting in my car studying this. This is what I do is I go into my car and I study under a bridge at Hart Park where all the crack addicts are. I told you that's where I go and I just hang out there. They all know me there. I'm safe. Don't worry. I'm cool with the druggies. And I just research and, and I'm in my car and I'm weeping on this story that I've known my whole life, that I grew up knowing. In fact, when I was a kid, I mean, I'm a pastor's kid. So, I don't know, explains a lot. Um, but, you know, I was like in the pageant. If you are over the age of 40, do you remember Salty Christmas Praise? Like the salty blue book? Yes, thank you. I was salty. I was the blue book walking around. For those of you that don't know, it's just weird Christian stuff that you do when you're younger and you listen to praise worship. But we every Christmas come Christmas, there's the Christmas pageant. This is, I mean, we were Baptist, I was Baptist growing up. So this was your time to shine as a woman. It was the only time you were allowed on stage. Uh, So I was like, I could be in the pageant. Um, And I would try out. And the only one I wanted to try out for, I didn't want to be Mary. You know why I didn't want to be Mary? She had no lines. (laughs) I didn't want to be any kind of thing. I wanted to be the angel. You know why? Because the angel had lines and got to wear wings and a halo. And it was my jam. I was, and behold, do not be afraid. And I, and I loved it. And I wanted to be, you know who nobody ever wanted to be? Was the wise men. Because the wise men had no, hardly any part. They just walked up, gave the gift, turned around and walked away. Boring. And they would walk up and there was how many of them? Three. And they were wise and we were, they were kings and they were dressed in kingly uh, outfits. And every year I now set up my nativity scene. We have our token nativity scene and we set it up in a manger and we've got Jesus and Mary, I mean, baby Jesus. And nobody wanted to be baby Jesus because baby Jesus is boring and, you know, and it just lays there, the baby. But you got baby Jesus and you got Mary and you got Joseph and you got the angel coveted role. And then you've got the shepherds and then you have the three wise men. This is what I grew up knowing. This is what I grew up seeing. And so as I'm researching what God wants to share with you all about the Magi, about the three wise men, I'm kind of like, the story's been done. It's played out. Let's do something creative with Christmas. You know, and he said, oh, Carrie, you have no idea how much you have ruined the Magi story. I'm like, do tell. Matthew chapter 2. Leads us to Matthew chapter 2. I got my big Bible out today. I'm telling you, I'm going serious. So Matthew chapter 2, you need to understand the narrative here. Here we have Matthew who's giving the birth story of Jesus. We have Luke who gives a totally different story. Not different, they conflict, but just different of what's happening. They both talk about the birth of Jesus being born in a major, but Luke talks about shepherds. He talks about the shepherds and the angel comes to the shepherd. We know it, don't be afraid. There's a king that's been born. Go, the shepherds go. And we know that the shepherds are there right then. They're close by. Angel appears to them, they go to the manger. Matthew, on the other hand, paints this picture that's totally and completely different of what's going on at the same time. He chooses to talk about these three magi. He chooses to talk about a king, but not just King Jesus, King Herod, where Luke's takes us to a manger in the softness with shepherds and baby Jesus. Matthew takes us to the underbelly, the grittiness of what was actually happening during the birth of Jesus. And that's what leads us to chapter two of Matthew. And it says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. 
Now, I wanna give you some brief of kind of what's happening in this scenario. So we have three magi. Nowhere does it say that there's there uh, three. Nowhere does it say that they are wise men. Nowhere does it say that they are kings. There is a reference to the fact that they might be um, in advisories. We know that these men, these magi, which is short for magician, were from the east, probably from Persia, maybe Babylon, Babylonia. So they, they, we know that they're from there. We also know that um, they, they could have traveled in packs. We know that they were probably, like I said, advisors to a king. They were kind of the guys in Babylonia or in Persia that would be advisors to a king in some kind of mystical way. They, would, they were dream tellers. They were astrologers. They were the ones that pagan worshipers would go to to kind of be a fortune teller. Tell me what's going to happen with my life. Tell me what would happen in my kingdom. So they did have some kind of um, stance in, in like authority or advisory, but they were by no means kings. And they were by no means considered, especially in Jewish culture, wise. In fact, when Matthew is writing this story, we have so skewed this story to think like, oh, even shepherds came to Jesus and even kings came to Jesus. But that's not what this story is saying. You see, understand the context of what Matthew is writing, who Matthew is writing to and why he would take 12 verses to talk about these pagan, idol-worshipping astrologers as modern day we would think of as kind of like tarot card readers and put them in the narrative of Jesus's birth. You see, whoever's reading this, which we know would be stories um, that would be told to Jewish people written by a Jewish man, I think about when you tell stories to your kids and you go, man, there was a baby Jesus and there's Mary and the angel came and there was three wives and the kids are like hanging on every word. Take it back to when this was actually written and when the stories were being told to little kids. Oh, the story didn't sound like that. It was like Jesus was born lowly in a manger. Yes, that's what happened. But Jesus spoke, God spoke to these idol-worshiping, silly, naive, astrology, tarot card reading, idol-worshipper, pagan men. He revealed himself to them. And they would have been like, what? Why would Jesus, King of the Jews, reveal himself in some form to them? This is not the story that we understand. Also understanding the context of the story, we also know that they are not Jews. There is not three of them. There could be many. Some think there's three because of the three gifts that they gave, but we have no idea. It could have been a pack of people. In fact, they were a lot of times magi, magicians, advisors, kind of were like gypsies, would go around in packs. This could have very well been the people that came to see Jesus, a massive amount of people with wives and children all coming packed as a pack to come see Jesus. We have no idea if it was three. We also have no idea. I mean, we also know that they would not have been considered wise. So here we go. We go on and find ourselves in the story. Something, I start to think, something about these, these magi. 
They're going about their business. They're studying astrology. They know the old and ancient scriptures. We know this because Daniel, way back in the, in the day, Daniel was captured and was now made to live in Babylonia and became, went up through the ranks, remember Daniel in the lion's den, came up through the ranks and became an advisory over the Magi. So there is this like tie that the Magi know these ancient scriptures that Daniel has passed down. We know that they don't believe in them. There wasn't a transformation in their heart. We know that because of the text we're about to read. But they have an understanding of these scriptures. Something happened on that night when Jesus was born. Something happens to these magi where they're studying stars, they know the scriptures, and something in their heart that I believe is a supernatural calling upon them to go on a search. You see, these men have been searching their whole life. They have been searching for something that makes sense. These aren't dumb men, but they are far from God. They have been exposed to pagan and idol worship, which we know is not from God. They have studied stars to try to find answers. They have studied dreams to try to give people answers and maybe even themselves. They have studied the ancient scriptures to try to all make it work. But something inside of them knows they have not found what they are looking for. And this encourages them. This compels them to go on a search a search for what they reference as the king of the Jews. This is where they are when you find them in the story. Also know this, the day they saw the star was the day that Jesus was born. They lived far. So your precious little nativity scene, you might want to move the magi over a little bit because it took them a little while. So in our house, we have the nativity scene and the magi are on the other shelf. They ain't there yet. They just aren't there yet, okay? So, all right? So here we do. We catch up in verse to two. And I love this because we consider the, the Magi wise men, yet here they have a star that is shining bright in the heavens. They are following the star all the way to find Jesus, and yet they have to stop and ask for directions. Verse two. Who is he who has been born king of the Jews? They ask. They come and arrive to Herod and ask him. For we saw his star in the east. You need to understand that prophecy has given way to this. You can go and study there. There's a prophet, a man named Balaam, and he actually gives reference to this in the Old Testament in Numbers. There's also Isaiah who gives reference to the star and the king that will be coming. So we know that these magi know something about these ancient scriptures. And they come and read and say this to Herod, for we know king of the Jews, what a prophetic word. It will actually be the very title that the Romans put on his cross. And here, when Herod heard the king, heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where this Christ was to be born. And all these scribes get together and they start to, to, to talk about what, this, what the prophets and what they studied. And I have to stop here because what's interesting about the juxtaposition of this story, you have what now in our day we call three wise men who really were not wise who were really seen as silly and naive, maybe even a little demonic, 
pagan worshipers who know something about scripture but can't really figure it out. And then you have these scribes that Herod, King Herod, has called upon. This is, his, this is the trusted man, men. These are the men who've been studying the scriptures since they were little. This has become their profession, is to know every nuance and detail of this story. And as they gather together, they tell Herod in verse six, yes, we know that a prophet says this, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They literally say in Bethlehem, a ruler will spring up. Know this, Bethlehem was five, about five miles from where this conversation is happening. As the Magi have to stop and ask for directions, I have no idea. There's a freaking star leading you where to go, but whatever. Have to stop and ask King Herod, where is your king of the Jews? We want to find him. We want to see him. They know that he is a, a baby or that he is a young boy. The scribes know the scriptures and literally prophetically say, this is what is going to happen. And they don't get it. So much knowledge, so much studying, yet their hearts were closed. Their eyes could not see what was only five miles in front of them. The very thing that they have been searching for their whole life, the very thing that they've been studying their whole life is five miles away, and yet their own knowledge and their own pride in what they know can't even get them five miles to see their king. There's two kings in this story. King Herod, who is so holding to his position. His entire identity is wrapped up in his kingship. Anybody that gets in his way, he will kill. He's killed his wife. He will have killed his sons. He has gone completely mad by holding on so tightly to his role as king. Did Jesus want to overtake his throne? No, he wanted to overtake his heart. But this King Herod was so bitter and so angry and so tied to his position that he couldn't see the gift that was being offered right in front of him. It says in verse 7, then Herod secretly called the Magi around, this is an evil man, and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. So now he's like, okay, so when did you see this star and what exactly happened? I mean, these men were somewhat mathematicians. They were studying the stars. They find out and ascertain that this is a little boy. This is why Herod chose to kill every child for every firstborn son under the age of two to kill them. Kill him. Because we don't know the exact age, just knows around about, but we know at this time he's no longer a baby. And he sent to them Bethlehem, so he sent them to Bethlehem in verse 8, go and make careful search, put that in your brain, for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. At this point, there's a relationship between the Magi and Herod. It's a, it's, a, it's a relationship of respect and, okay, you're a king. I'll honor what you say. We've come into this place. But Herod knows you're on a search. You know, so do they. They're searching for this. And they have heard the king. They listened to what he said in verse 9. 
and they went on their way. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went out before them until it came and stood over where the child was. I did a lot of research on this and I'm like, why didn't or couldn't Herod see the star? I mean, it's, if it was guiding them, why didn't they see it? A lot of commentators, I mean, we don't know, we weren't there, but a lot of them believe that this was a supernatural act that came together. Some people say it might have been stars that came together and kind of formed this. It could have been planets that came together. But what most scholars believe is we don't know, which I love. But they would say that, many of them are saying that it could have been a supernatural act where when your eyes are opened and you're searching to find, your eyes see things that other people just can't see. What if that's true? What if there's a star in the sky and because their hearts were open, these pagan, idol-worshiping, tarot card-reading, astrology-thinking, maybe demon-walking men, silly and naive, especially in the eyes of Jews, were the very people that God interrupted their life and they were interruptible because they were searching. They were the ones that their eyes were opened to see a star in the heavens, and yet the scribes who were considered wise couldn't even see what was five miles away. That blows my mind. And here they come in verse 10, and they saw the star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and they came into the house not the manger, and they saw the child. Here's Jesus walking around, you know, I don't know, maybe barely walking. He was probably a high achiever. He was probably walking very early. Like, oh my gosh, he's a prodigy. No, yeah, he is. <laughs> he's like perfect. Um, my son's so perfect. No, actually mine is. He's Jesus, so. <laughs> He's walking around being a kid. You know, he wasn't like sitting there like, I'm so glad you came. No, he's walking around, knocking stuff over and, you know, drooling and what kids do at one, you know? He's a kid. He's a little toddler walking around, getting into stuff, annoying his brothers, you know, worrying his mom, normal kid stuff. And here these men or men and women or gangs of men, we don't know, walk up to this house because we know that they've moved. There's succession to that. I get into it. I don't have enough time. But we know that they've moved because of Jewish, of what needs to take place, circumcision, being ordained, you know, going into the temple, all of these things. And they're in their house and up walk these men. They walk up. They've been searching. They've been traveling probably anywhere from a year to two years to get to this place. What has to happen in your heart that would make you want to search and not stop, leave everything you know to search for two years to find what you've been looking for? As they walk in, in verse 11, they come to the house and see the child with Mary and his mother. And they fall down and they start worshiping him. They open up their treasures and they presented their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I think about that moment for them as they finally walked in. It's a child. It, 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 in itself, it's nothing. 
Who in their right mind, any of us, would walk into a home, fall upon our knees before a two-year-old child, and start worshiping? What had to happen in their hearts in that moment that brought them to a place of utter fallenness, of complete surrender, of an absolute place of humility and, and, and just humbled before a two-year-old baby. Something supernatural happened. They've encountered God. They've encountered the presence of God. You see, the Magi for two years and probably their whole life had been searching for answers. Their hearts were open. They were in just absolute chaos, studying the stars to try to figure out things, interpreting dreams, studying the old uh, scriptures, searching and searching, and all of the things line up, and here's a star. They don't know what they're about to find. They've heard about the king of the Jews. They've heard some things about him and that he, they will come, but they've never encountered God like this. They've never had something happen in their heart that would drop them to their knees. The only thing that has ever dropped them to their knees is by duty to a king. But something happens here that doesn't just drop them to their knees because they're in the presence of the king. We know that their hearts were changed because of the very next word, they began to worship. What did that look like for them? I wonder how they were searching and searching. The end of their search happened the moment they saw this child, God in human flesh. And this is the moment that their search ended and their journey began. It says here, as they give him these treasures, I love that God, and this is just a side note, I love that God implanted in their hearts to give them these three gifts. They were portable. Pretty soon, the angel's going to come to Joseph and tell him that he has to leave, he needs to flee. These were portable gifts that they could sell on the way. So God was already protecting his son through the gifts of the Magi. Who gives gold, frankincense, and myrrh as a baby gift? Not too many. I mean, you can bring that to my house any day. <laughs> but the gold was prophetic in nature. It is what is given to a king. Frankincense is what's given to a priest. And myrrh is what you use as you embalm a body for death. As they give these gifts, they are prophetically saying, maybe without even knowing what the story of Jesus will be. And verse 12 says this, and having been warned, they fall asleep, they've worshiped, they've seen God, and they fall asleep, and God reveals to them in a dream, do not go back to Herod. And he says to him, and I just want you to hear this part, so they departed from their own country by another way. The Magi came searching for something some kind of answer, some kind of presence of God. They went to a king to ask for directions. When they encountered the true king, as they fell asleep, God guarded Jesus' presence and, and his heart. And he told the Magi, go home a different way. 
The Greek word for way here is hodos, and it's very cool to hear that he used this specific word way, because later on in scripture, Jesus uses the same word hodos in two other scriptures where he says, the way, the na- way is narrow, hodos. He also uses another scripture where he says, the way of the righteous, way, hodos, telling them it is now time to go a different way. What you are searching for has been fulfilled. The godly lifestyle that you want to lead is the way to life. And it says now they went a different way. You see, they were no longer searching anymore. They had started their journey with Jesus, God, creator of the universe. They were changed. Why did Matthew put the Magi in here? Why use this narrative from the very moment that Jesus took his first breath? From the very moment that he had breath in his lungs, God was calling to the misfits and the lowly and the ones who were interruptible. From the very moment that he breathed life, he was saving those that were hungry to be saved. He was reaching those who are searching. The wise had access. The king had access, but their eyes were not open because their heart was not searching. They were so hung up in their status and what they knew and their knowledge that their heart was not open. But God came to reach those that were trying to figure life out, that were searching, that the world would say were lowly and silly and naive. Who would ever put them in the story of Jesus? From the very moment that Jesus took his first breath, he was reaching and looking and searching the earth for those who are hungry to be saved until the very moment that he took his last breath on the cross as the criminal stood next to him, searching his whole life to try to fill his heart with meaning. He said, Jesus, don't forget me when you close your eyes and enter into heaven. Don't forget me. And said, so Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you understand the Christmas story has nothing to do with a baby in a manger? It's who he puts in the story. It's who he reaches. These were three kings, wise with all knowledge. These were the naive, the pagan worships, the ones far on the outreach, the the outskirts, the untouchables, the ones that nobody would ever to sit with. Jesus says, I want you. And if your heart is open to me, I will call you to me and you will search no more. I will take you a new way. There will be a new path for you, a way that is narrow, but it is the way of the righteous. This is the way I have offered to you, and this is the way that has been offered to you. We don't normally do a moment of reflection, of asking Jesus to come into your heart. This is not something we want you to to feel that we're telling you you have to do it or there's some magical prayer. No. But are you here today and just searching? Have you been trying to look to knowledge or the stars or relationships or people or status to fill the void in your heart? You don't have to search anymore. The way of the righteous is offered to you. And if you want that today, you can just 
say, I want that. I don't want to search anymore. I'm tired of searching. And you will end the search and begin the journey of what it means to walk with Jesus. And the next time I come, we'll talk about what that journey looks like. But I just didn't want you to miss when you look at the nativity scene or you're here at Christmas and you're thinking about all the gifts and all the things. I really want you to understand the narrative of what Matthew wants you to get. It is the lowly that we're called. It is the outskirts that were reached. It is the searching that will be found. This is what is offered to you today. This is who my Jesus loves. This is who he calls to. And if you're willing to be interrupted, it'll be the best interruption you've ever experienced. Your eyes will see stars that nobody else can see. (laughs) You'll experience Jesus in ways you never thought possible. This is the gift of Christmas. (laughs) Let's pray. Dear God, I just ask that you would come in this moment, God. As we're about to take communion and we think about what you did on the cross, we can't help but think about what you did in Bethlehem that day. As you reached out to the ones that nobody would ever want to include. As even from a baby, you were already starting to break down barriers of race and religion. (laughs) As a small child, God, you were already reaching way beyond Jews, prophetically showing that your message was for every single person that is willing to come, who's searching. So as we take this bread and we remember what you did on the cross and we drink, God, of this cup, help us to remember, God, We don't do this to check a box. We aren't here because our parents told us to be here or out of obligation. We are searching and many of us are still searching. And for those of us that are on the journey with you, when the journey is hard, you are with us and you will guide us. I pray for those here right now, God, who have never asked you to be a part of their life, who have never surrendered to you right now in this moment, that they would just call out to you. In the quietness of their heart, I want you. I'm tired of searching. I want to be with you. I want you to know me and I want to know you deeper and closer. I'm tired of searching. And I want to start my journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, man, I sure love being with you guys. I hope that you were encouraged by the story that you got to hear tonight, today. That God is just for you. He is so for you, and he came for you. And if you're searching for him, you will find him. He is so readily available like a star in the sky. Hey, if you need prayer today, if you... Maybe we're like, I want a deeper relationship with Jesus, or I just want to know Jesus, um, and I just don't even fully know what that's going to even look like. Or maybe you just are going through something where you're like, I'm on a journey with Jesus, but the journey's been painful. We have incredible community pastors that are back here in the corner. You can also see them with orange lanyards that would love to pray with you, chat with you, talk with you, minister to you, love on you, whatever other adjective I can think of. Um, maybe not any other one. <laughs> um, 
And also, if you are like, we love what's happening at Vox, and we want this to continue going, me too. We need to partner together. And so if you're into that, we have participation boxes in the back where you can give freely, um, freely and freely and generously. And it's right before the end of the year. So hello, tax write-off. Um, so also, you're probably wondering who's this cute little guy next to me. This is my son, Rocco. <laughs> And Rocco, can you say hi? hi? You have to talk in that. Hi. Hi. He said, Mommy, I really want to go up on stage with you, and I want to give um, all of our church family a blessing and say a prayer. Could I do that? And I was like, yes. <laughs> right? Um, so, Rocco, what, did you, what was the blessing that you wanted to, to, to bless the people with today? That when everyone walks out the door, they will know that you were blessed by God and loved by him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what he said to me. I did not prompt that. And so we would, um, what would you like them to do as you say this prayer to let them go? Please stand and hold out your arms. Okay, so we can receive a blessing from God? Yes. Okay, go ahead and lead us in prayer, buddy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed day. Very good, buddy. Can you say bye? Bye. Have a blessed week. Merry Christmas. We'll see you at the Christmas Eve service. You are loved and blessed. Know it. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.